Episode 6 of the Hard Yards Rugby League podcast. Can you believe it's 6 already? This week we're going around the world. You'll hear from people in a couple of different countries and one of them is Peru. Well, he's, the guy's actually in Australia, but he's starting Rugby League in Peru. Uh, and he's definitely one of those who's putting in the hard yards in the game of Rugby League who this podcast is dedicated to each week. I'm your host, Lee Addison, and this is a podcast for you wherever you are in the Rugby League world. We are your advocate, your supporter, your voice, and we'll always tell it as we see it. And where appropriate, pull no punches. Enjoy listening to our podcast today. Don't forget to visit our website, rugbyleaguecoach.com.au. It's for coaches, players, S&C coaches, administrators. Um, For as little as $59 a year or $7 a month, you can join and get access to hundreds of videos teaching you how to play the game, coaching you how to coach, and strength training videos, fitness videos, including plans. There's so much on there. Go and take a look, rugbyleaguecoach.com.au. Loads to get through today, so I'm going to get straight into it. Opening comments time. Rugby League's Christmas Day happened this week with uh, Origin 1. Oh, the first Christmas Day anyway. Um, this links to the Around the World podcast because uh, you always hear Rabs Warren, Ray Warren, um, say it goes around X amount of countries around the world. I think the figure's about 90. I'll just put that into some kind of context for you. The Super Bowl goes to about 180 uh, different countries. So we've still got work to do. It's brilliant that it goes out to 90 countries, don't get me wrong. Um a little bit of a gripe, or big gripe actually, um, a lot of the Emerging Nations that played in the Emerging Nations World Cup, um, a few of them I spoke to this week and said, can you watch State of Origin? And one nation in particular that did well at the Emerging Nations World Cup said, no, we can't watch Origin, it's not on TV, uh, the NRL, watch NRL app is too expensive for our economy, and the only thing we can do if we need to is get an illegal feed on the internet. And as we know, Todd Greenberg spent a lot of time pulling them down. So there are there is still work to do to get it out there. And I think when we are developing emerging nations in rugby league, I think if somebody enters a big tournament like the Emerging Nations or a World Cup, then the the game's administrative bodies need to think smartly about how to get these TV rights out there. It's not good enough just to do an app because an app has to be looked for i think we are in a world sports market now Um, people don't just walk down to the local ground to watch their local team anymore what they do is they surf channels if you've got satellite or cable tv you know your foxtels your sky sports all that kind of thing you flick through the channels and sometimes you'll go from one country to another to another and if it's on tv if it doesn't even have to be on sports channels, it can be on terrestrial channels. If it's on TV, people have a chance to stumble over it. And how do we do that? Well, I think we give our rights out to some of these countries for not as much as we ask normally. We might give them a teaser. We might give them one origin game in the grand final, or we might give them one year free or cheap. Let's get them out there. We need to put eyeballs on screens. Or we need to put screens in front of eyeballs, as it would be in in terms of TV. 
So that's my first, um, I wouldn't say gripe, it's my first suggestion if you like. It's a, let's make it even bigger. Well done everybody associated with Origin. Um, but when we get excited about the viewing figures in Australia, remember that Australia is a country of only 24 million people and there's a massive world out there. And we have a unique product and people want to see it. It's so unique. You go around the world and tell people about state versus state, mate versus mate, they can't believe it. You know, Payne Haas and David Fafita were playing against each other on Wednesday uh, in Origin 1. And they both went to school together and sat in a classroom together two years ago. Unbelievable. They were playing against each other in Origin. Now, the other thing about Origin and the Origin period. It absolutely annihilates the NRL. The NRL, in my personal opinion, isn't worth watching during Origin time. There's uh, a truncated draw. There's bye weekends. Um, there are teams that have all their Origin stars missing. Not just when they're in camp, but when they're injured after after games too. So, do you know any other competition in the world where the best 30-plus players, 30-40 players, are missing? No, neither do I. Um, so, the argument back would be, but the TV companies need content. And this is where what I call the Addison Master Plan comes into play. <clears throat> we have four weeks off. We have four weeks off. From the NRL, from Super League. And during that time, um, two origin squads of 24 are picked. And those guys stay in camp for a three-week period. So, for example, this year they would have gone into camp on Monday the 27th of May. They would have played Origin 1 on Wednesday the 5th of June. Stay in camp. Or, of course, if New South Wales are at home, they can go home for a bit. Or Queensland at home, they can go home for a bit. But essentially, they stay in origin mode until a middle game, Saturday the 15th or Sunday the 16th of June, origin two. And then they do exactly the same, stay in origin mode for another week and a half and down tools after origin three on Wednesday the 26th of June. I think I've got those dates right. But anyway, what that means is that the competition can be stopped for four weeks. Now, that only applies to people who qualify for Queensland and New South Wales, obviously. So, what we do then is we leave the rest of the players to play for their nations of choice. So, for example, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Cook Islands, etc., etc. Um, you can have round-robin tournaments in that time. England and New Zealand can play a three-match test series. Um, it's a great fixture, England and New Zealand. Uh, there always seem to be trading series. New Zealand win one, England win one, particularly depending on who's at home. So that can be something. Anybody who's... Australian or English or Kiwi are not involved in any of those games takes part in a nine circuit. There's a Northern Hemisphere one uh, involving the Super League players and the Championship One players and Championship players. And they play in development areas in Great Britain and in different parts of Europe. And there's a Southern Hemisphere one where they play the nine circuit in development areas. So you could go back to Auckland or Wellington, but you can also do different parts of Asia and that would satisfy the TV companies I think in terms of content and that's the Addison master plan 
no clubs get affected. It gives everyone a break from the NRL. It fits this model of sport being a, a worldwide thing. So when people are flicking through the channels, that's a rugby league equivalent of the Big Bash right there, either Origin or Internationals or um, uh, the Nine Circuit. And it can promote stars. And somebody who's having a bad time in, in club football can all of a sudden be rejuvenated in in international football or on the nine circuit. And it can also give many youngsters a chance to shine too in that nine circuit. And it just sends the game um, to a broader audience and allows newspapers and the like to, to have something new to publish. It focuses minds, so um, all the emerging nations, if they're not involved in anything... They can try and get involved in that nine circuit or they can arrange fixtures within that time. And it means that that nobody's working against each other or or clashing at any time. Well, we can do other things in that four-week four week rep season too. But at the minute, we've got a great product, Origin, that, that, you know, let's get it wider and wider and wider. Let's get it to more TV screens around the world. We've got a great product, but what it does is it ruins our other great product, which is the NRL. Um, I'm sure the next problem with that would be the clubs will go. Well, we're not getting enough fixtures. We're not. We're not. We're not making enough money. Well, the, that what we need to do then is put the onus on the clubs to buy into that and market it and invest in it so that they get the kickback. So the game per se might not make a lot of profit out of some of these things. It could go back to the clubs to get them to buy into it. I think it'd benefit everyone in the world if there's a showcase tournament. Uh, of nines in different parts of the world it would benefit everyone in the world in who loves rugby league if it was on more tv screens and it would benefit people in the world if there's more international games which in turn get more column inches more viewers and engage more people radical or no but i've heard murmurings and and read about similar things in in the rugby league media for a couple of years now it's time to get the ball rolling let me know what you think at admin at rugbyleaguecoach.com.au Find us at Rugby League Coach on Instagram and Facebook or on Twitter at RL Coach on, on the net. You can... We're now going to hear from our coaching correspondent, Stephen Peoples, talking about coaching issues in the game. Steve Peoples, our coaching correspondent. How are you, sir? We've moved you to the different podcasts. Are you, uh, your, your adoring fans have had to wait, th- wait three weeks for your dulcet tones. How you going, you mad pom? <laughs> um, it's a intriguing time of year, isn't it, uh, for a coach and for a player if you're in Australia. Um, there's a lot of rep football going on. There's a lot of rep football going on, obviously, from origin down. I mean, there's New South Wales under-18s, under-16s playing against Queensland equivalents. There's women and girls, but there's also the school teams. Um, what what else can you think of, Steve? That I might have missed out there. It's hard to keep track of it all, isn't it? Really, as we as you sort of rattle off uh, all that all that representative stuff, it uh, seems have you, like have you done much yourself as a coach? Uh, my my sort of coaching background probably just only relates to the junior stuff. So I've sort of had a bit of experience at um, state championship level with a with an under thirteen team, and then you, you Cyril Connell, Mal Meninga setups but that's probably as far as i've i've delved into it um how does your coaching change when you're dealing with a rep side i think 
because you have such a short time to to gel, for lack of a better word, a team together, I think your coaching becomes more about a man management focus and maybe mm. putting the onus on on your playmakers a little bit more to to really steer your team around. I think it's a it's a time where you can't get too bogged down in in core skills coaching. It's more about how how you want your team to play. So. Overall, I think it's a big joint effort from everybody. I think it's more just about bringing the team together in the short time that you have got with them to do that. Um, I mean, when you say bringing the team together, I suppose that brings us to another team topic. I mean, um, traditionally, Origin always had used to have a uh, a bender or two at the start of of their uh, sort of time in camp. I heard a tale once. Do you remember the old... Were you familiar with the old Lancashire and Yorkshire origin that lasted about three or four years in England? Are you familiar no, never, with that at all? I've never um, heard of that, mate. Well, um, a, a coach who will remain nameless, just in case it's wrong, apparently took the Lancashire team into camp on the Monday for the Friday game, got them absolutely blind drunk on the Monday. Um, they then played on Tuesday afternoon uh, a game of scrimmage against uh, their under-18s and they won it and apparently the coach said at the end of that scrimmage in training to celebrate that victory we're going out on the drink again and then ah. apparently they did a, they did a couple of uh, warm-ups uh, training sessions on Wednesday and Thursday and played Friday and won so, and that was only the year 2002 something like that so um, assuming that um, you've not got that in your armoury as a coach and assuming that you're dealing with kids or something like that. What sort of team building things? Because you mentioned the term bringing players together. How do you do it, Steve? I think nowadays it's really easy and I think players are becoming more familiar with each other. And This isn't new. They sort of play against each other every week. But I guess with the age of social media and, and things they have access to, I guess they get to know each other a bit more on a personal level just through there. So I guess the expectation is that um, coming into camp, if you if you do happen to have a camp, is just making sure all the boring stuff, the introductions. and But I suppose it's, it's about bringing in things where you really can get to know a player and, and bringing them out of their shell. Because as we know, some players like to be the centre of attention. Some players are quite reserved. So... I think more, like you said, team building activities where it's mm. about about getting them to actually interact with the group and, and it probably opens up another thing where you're actually going to find out who your natural leaders are, who, yeah. who your followers are, that, those sorts of things. I, I think especially with junior camps where you don't have access to them, like, like the senior boys where they actually do stay in camp and they're not together all the time, it's... It's more about the quality of, of uh, the session that you bring, but also, I guess, tacking on to that, what you can do with them in regards to just getting to know each other a little bit better before they go into that representative camp over those few days. If you uh, were talking to a group of coaches, as you could well be now, who possibly listen to this podcast, who who have been who who would you use as your shining example of a rep coach in any sport, really, to follow? So... When I look at a sort of representative type model, I like to pull in, um, even though he's not known for his representative stuff, somebody like Alex Ferguson because of his uh, of his disciplines and things around um, around players. But somebody like um, Wayne Bennett that seemed to have a bit of a knack 
um, of short-term coaching. Uh, Gus Gould certainly seemed to develop a, term, uh, a knack for short-term coaching. More recently, Mal Meninga and, uh, and, and, and oh, I nearly said Ricky Stewart, then Brad Fittler have obviously done a few quirky things over their time. I mean, who are your sort of go-tos for that kind of thing? If you were a rep coach of a team in camp next week, who would you sort of look up to in that regard? I think, I think from a modern-day perspective, you really, you really can't go past Mal Meninga, and that's just based on the success that Queensland team had. Obviously, with the players at his disposal too, we talk about natural leaders. He had, you know, the, the list is quite famous of who he had at his disposal, but... Uh, with the amount of literature that's about, and 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 we seem to talk about, like you said, Sir Alex Ferguson, Wayne Bennett, they seem to follow the same coaching philosophies, and that, that sort of have made their teams successful. And I think messages are quite simple too. At times, I've sort of worked in junior coaching ranks with um, with a couple of mentors, not not of any sort of note or notoriety, but um, just being able to pick little things up along the way. But ultimately, if, if you are fortunate enough and good enough to make it to that level, I think you find your own niche at times, just what's going to work best for you. I don't know if that answered your question properly, but I think it's just learning your players as fast as you can. If you do if you do have that ability to be able to select your know, handpick your players or select your players, it's it's about um, learning learning about them as quick as you can as to what's going to work best. Um, we're, we're recording this the week of Origin, so when it comes out, it will be the result will be known. But one of the interesting selections is Nathan Cleary, who's not playing his best football for Penrith. Penrith have been near the bottom of the ladder for most of the year, um, but he's been picked again for New South Wales. At the risk of looking a bit silly <laughs> by the time this this podcast comes <laughs> out, what would you what what do you think of a selection like that? Because we can apply the, you can apply this philosophy to any level of coaching, and that's why I'm asking. Um, what do you think of that selection, and what do you see as the positives and negatives of that setting? Oh. I, t- I tell you what, mine now, and that give you might give you an idea of what I'm thinking. I think Nathan Cleary could go all right because he's away from the setting that he's in. It's like an actual break. It's like having a new coach in a club when when a coach gets sacked and a new coach comes in with some quirky ideas. There's always a short-term momentum shift and a boost of confidence and everybody's got a fresh, a fresh sort of pair of eyes and legs kind of thing. The negative could be that he's in a bit of a form rut. What, what's your take on that, mate? Just going, just just you raise a really good point there too. Is is that when he when he ventures in the camp, and I and I know this is the hard yards, and where where we sort of talk about the grassroots, but I think we can apply this to to players that may not be playing in great form or or in teams that are in great form. He, he's going to enter into a camp where he's actually playing with a lot of players that are coming from club teams in very good form, and and I think the way they play sort of rubs off on him and, and, like I said, have that bit of a break, have a bit of a refresher coming in to such a, you know, a big stage. But that'll be that'll be something that I feel for as long as I've been around rugby league is we talk about selections and teams already being picked before the trials have already happened. It, it's where a coach really has to be strong with his convictions and know that 
a player can do the job for him. And, and as, a, as a very young halfback last year and a pretty historic um, series win, we know that, that Nathan Cleary probably stepped up when, when he had to and, and performed quite well at that level. So I can't see why as a second-year halfback coming into this series that he wouldn't uh, fully know the expectations on him and actually feel a lot better about leading a team around uh, in, in this series. So I, I, I think that it's showing a lot of faith in him and that, that may just give him the confidence to, to then go on and do a good job for, for the Blues, I, I think, yeah. Um, well, that leads me on to my next and final question. As a rep coach, do you pick the 17 best? Or the best 17? <laughs> uh, I'd like to think that we still work on, and, and, and I think Brad Fittler is a really good shining example of this, and probably Kevin Walters if we're going down the state of origin sort of path, is that we see again, we see you know five new debutants into that Blues team this year and then some debutants into the Queensland team. So I'd like to think that it's... You know, you pick the 17 best at the time. I like to think that a rep jersey is earned. Um, so the best 17 players. So if yeah, so yeah, the best I think one, yeah, okay. If, if that's what sort of if this is if that's the way you're going, like in my in my sort of terminology, the best 17 is is the players that are playing the best at the time. Or that's just one one of the ways. So I on that feel on that basis, rep. then you possibly wouldn't have picked Nathan Cleary. Well, maybe not, and I, and I think had Adam Reynolds not gone down when he did, we might be talking about a, a South Sydney uh, scrum-based combination going into the origin. Uh, mm, but mm, mm. that's that's <laughs> people in higher paid positions are making those decisions above me, yeah. mate. So I'm just, yeah, uh, I'm, just yeah. I'm just a fan that's going to be sitting in my lounge chair watching it when it all goes down. I mean, so. I mean what do you think? I mean, if you're a rep coach, do you want to pick your own team or do you want to be happy for a group of selectors to do it? I mean, that's, oh, that's very commonplace, isn't it? Um, it is It is really commonplace, and especially in, in um, juniors where they sort of play the carnival before the carnival and, and as a coach you do get to watch. I'd like to think you do get a little bit of say or a lot of say in the sort of team you'd like to take into a representative carnival. I, I, me personally, like the ability to be able to pick my own team uh, as coaching is a pretty fickle thing and it's pretty pretty simple when you live and die by your results. So I'd like to think we have a bit of responsibility there to to back our back our decisions and and go forward with them. So I yeah I, I do like to have that responsibility of picking my own team for sure. Yeah yeah yeah, um, and then I suppose what you can do is you can put uh, horses for courses. Um, you know if you have a certain way of playing in your mind then you can pick the, the cattle, for want of a better term, to, to fulfil that role. Or if you've got so much of one kind of player, let's say you've got some size, you can supplement that with some speed and all that kind of thing, whereas a group of selectors might not necessarily look at it like that. Like no, that might just, yeah, you have your own sort of game plan. We want to go big through the middle and... You know, or we want to be fast, or whatever it may be. There's a certain makeup to every team that's selected, whether it's a representative level or whether it's a club level. And and you know, obviously at at carnivals, you could identify at that carnival that you might have 20 players in your squad, and two of those players might not suit the team you're playing on day two or day three. It's just catering for the style that you want to play against certain teams too. So. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a good question, mate, for sure. 
I love our chats about coaching, mate. We could do it forever, but uh, we've we got a game to watch. Um, and just to put you under pressure, um, when in two weeks' time, when uh, we speak again, you'll be held to account for this, surely. Um, what's the scoreline going to be in Origin 1, which, as we record, is happening in a couple of hours, but when this comes out, everyone will know the results. So, what is the score, Mr Stephen Peoples? What's it going to be? Who's going to win? Queensland, 22-14. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you. I think they've got some... Uh, so, I'm putting my neck on the line, too. I think the one possible weakness, I think Michael uh, Morgan, um, the playing in the centres, could be a possible weakness. Could be. Um, yeah. Defensively. Especially if he's up against Latrell Mitchell. But I just think there's going to be a few ducks and drakes in there. But I think everybody's written Queensland off, but they've got a bit of X Factor. And one of them is called Caelan Ponga. And they've also got a pretty battle-hardened pack. And they've got a fella called Daily Cherry Evans, who's got a lot to prove in terms of um, the way he's been treated, I think, by the public in many ways. And um, I think he's got a good head on those shoulders. And I think he's been a little bit tainted unfairly. And I'm... I'm predicting a Queensland win in Origin 1. So it looks like yeah, we've I've... both got our heads on the chopping blocks. I'm with you, you mad pom. That's for sure. <laughs> I said it was the last question ages ago. What, what, let's talk about the coach whisperer quickly. What's your opinion on all that? Have you been reading anything? <laughs> I, I heard something quite amusing today uh, that Alan Langer said that uh, Kevin Walters has been his uh, best mate for, for many years. And he, he, it's like Kevin's been on the drink for two weeks. So... There might be something behind this coach whisperer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see how it all goes. Oh, but, uh, enjoy Kevin, your game, mate. Enjoy your next yeah. couple of weeks of coaching and whatever you're doing, and we'll talk again. And uh, um, don't trim that don't trim that beard because uh, you look like WG Grace, the old England cricketer. All the best, mate. <laughs> Keep up the hard yards. Keep up the hard yards. See you later, you mate. You too, mate. Take care. Bye. Being a coach myself, I always love the coaching chats with Steve Peoples there. So forgive me if I, even though I'm the one doing the interviewing, if sometimes I put my own opinions across. Um, next one, Michael Carboni from the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Michael, I don't know if I know anybody who knows as much about the international game as this man um, and just oozes passion about every little, every little game or rugby league, wherever it is in the world. And hopefully that comes through when I chat to him. Michael Carboni, Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Um, have you been chasing many kangaroos lately, mate, or what? Mate, haven't been chasing many. It's been a bit cold, actually, to be honest with you, coach. But uh, good to be back. I'm rugged up and, and ready to go for another one. Um, talking of cold, uh, maybe it's a cold war. I don't know. What's going on in Greece for rugby league? Now, Greece has been very, very interesting lately. I've been talking about it quite a bit. Anyone that's following us on our chasing kangaroos on our social media channels but um we I, I think we may have spoke last time or there's been there's been plenty of talk about greece qualifying for the next stage of world cup qualifiers so they've qualified for the next stage after defeating norway 56 to 26 in london a couple of weeks ago uh but Just say now that again mate i lost you for a minute there 56 so uh, yeah greece defeated norway 56 to 26 in london a couple of weeks ago wow uh, so massive win for greece and uh, that, that brings them to the next stage of World Cup qualifiers. So they'll now be facing 
Russia and Scotland. And two of those sides will qualify for the 2021 World Cup, which is massive news for, for Greece and Greek Rugby League. They've never been in this position before or been mm. this close to a World Cup before. Mm-hmm. But as you probably know, Lee, and as many listeners would have seen on social media in the last week or two, uh, there's a good chance that the government over in Greece are not going to let them play a home game. How much of that story do you know, mate? Mate, I know, look, the history dates back to about 2015, so I can I can quickly run yourself and your listeners uh, through that if you like. Yeah, please do. Um, so 2015, the, the Greek Rugby League was run by the Hellenic Rugby League Federation, and it was a gentleman named uh, Anastasios Panitsidis. So this guy was running Rugby League, uh, apparently not too well from all reports. Um, there was a few indiscretions, and the clubs and the players... Uh, signed a vote of no confidence in the HRL. And a rebel Greek Rugby League Association was formed and led by a coach at the time, uh, George Stylianos. And George is is someone that I speak to quite a bit these days mm-hmm. uh, we, on my show, for example. Um, so the, the, the clubs pretty much broke away from the Hellenic Rugby League Federation. And since then, it, it's been all out war. So the Hellenic Rugby League Federation were struggling for numbers. Their national side was getting pumped. They didn't have players... Um, they were four-footing games. But meanwhile, the Greek Rugby League Association was, was kicking on and they, had, they were getting four or five uh, domestic clubs and, and people playing. But the problem was all the political power was with Anastasios Panitsidis. So okay. the Rugby League European Federation, they were backing the Greek Rugby League Association because they had the numbers, they were getting games and they were pushing the game forward in Greece. But uh, Panitsidis, with his political connections... What happened was he actually uh, convinced the Greek government to make to <laughs> this. This is going to sound really strange, but they he he got them to include rugby league under the banner of modern pentathlon. So basically, you have what? a yeah, exact modern <laughs> pentathlon. So you're talking swimming, cycling, and rugby league. Apparently, one of oh. the pen, one of modern pentathlon games. Wow. So, so you've got essentially the Rugby League European Federation and the Rugby League International Federation backing the GRLA, but the mm. Greek government backing, mm. the, backing the modern pentathlon version of Rugby League, which does not really exist. So okay. this, this Panacetus bloke, pretty much, uh, you know, it's pretty much a personal vendetta against Rugby League. So what we saw was uh, from 2016 to recently, we've seen games shut down. So there was a Balkan Super League match between the Attica Rhinos uh, in Radniki Nice, which was shut down by police in the 70th minute. Um, What's because... it got to do with the police? Is that because the government... Mate, who knows what... Look, okay. it's all government-related, obviously, yeah, and yeah. Who, knows, who knows what's happening. I, I don't even know what happened with our, with our election a couple of weeks ago, let alone what's going on in Greece <laughs> politics, to be honest with you. But, mate, mate, we won't go there. But we've seen things like that. We've seen there was a famous game which kicked off at 12.15 a.m., uh, uh, between, again, the Attica Rhinos and the Rhodes Knights, who are the champions of Greece at the moment. So that mm-hmm. game kicked off late in secret so that they couldn't be shut down. We saw um, last year one of the qualifying matches between Greece and Malta for this World Cup. Um, they, the, the players and the coaches and staff did not know where the game was being played. They had to play it in secret. They met at a rendezvous point, and a bus took all the players and staff to this secret location Cup qualifier. And basically, you know, the Greek Rugby League Federation, they played their match against Norway in London. They took it away from home because they didn't want to risk it being shut down by the government. Mm-hmm. And now here, here they are one step away from a World Cup and uh, 
I don't think they want to risk it again, to be honest with you. So, the two sides in Greece, do they have clubs underneath them? So, what's the club scenario in Greece? So, Greek Rugby League Association has uh, five clubs now. They'll have a fifth club coming into their new domestic season this year. So, they've got the Rhodes Knights, the, uh, the Attica Rhinos. They've got the Aris Eagles. Um, they've got the uh, Pataras Panthers and the newest club is the Athens Raiders. So they've got five clubs. They're growing. They've got women's rugby league happening with Pataras and with Aris as well. Um, they're starting to look, think about things like juniors or having B-sides and things like that. The Aris Eagles are in the Balkan Super League. So there's plenty going on with the Greek Rugby League Association. Uh, and the other side, the Hellenic Rugby League or the Pentathlon or whatever you want to call them, they've got nothing. They have absolutely zilch, zip, nada. They've just got one bloke who's pretty much got a personal vendetta against uh, everyone else who's I'm taken rugby the league. Down. That's exactly right. So he's the, the, the issue is there. Um, so they've, they're pretty much starting a – they've started a social media campaign, hashtag Let Grease Play, which you might have seen a little bit uh, mm. over, over the last week or so. Mm-hmm. But I've actually heard some interesting news from, from George Stylianos, the Greek Rugby League Association uh, uh, president. And I just spoke to him this morning, actually, about this. And I, I asked him, what's going on? Has there been any progress? Uh, because they were going to have a, 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 a protest outside of parliament, or they were trying to organise something. But he tells me that as of the last day or so, um, an election has been called. So we could be a month away from new government in Greece, and that could change everything. So, who knows? Who knows? But watch this space. The so, how does the club competition happen in Greece if they're essentially avoiding police? Look, there's been, like I said, they've had midnight games and they've had secret games and things like that. Mm. To be to be honest with you, lately, in the, the last season that's passed in particular, they haven't had trouble. So it's it's sort of quietened down a little bit. Um, the sides have been able to play without without any molestation for one but of a better I assume, word. I assume the Greece national team has sort of brought it back into the, into the spotlight again kind well, of thing. And... It, it seems that whenever um, an international team, so when they played Malta or when the Serbian club came across for a match, whenever international sides get involved, there seems to be more of an issue. So I guess it's more of a... They, they don't want to take the risk of something happening at a World Cup qualifier could be quite embarrassing for not only Greek Rugby League, but for Rugby League. Because they've got to play that at home, I assume. 100%. Well, they they will they want to play a game at home. So the game against Scotland um, is meant to be at home in November. Um, but the talk is that if they can't get... Com- the, the, the Rugby League European Federation is trying to contact Greek government to discuss, but Greek government don't want a bar of it at the moment as it currently stands. So if they can't, if they can't have an amicable discussion with Greek government, then um, the game will probably be taken to London, I would, I would presume. <clears throat> I mean, Pakistan cricket, I think they still play outside of Pakistan, don't they? And they have done for the best part of a decade. Because I of, think so, yeah. yeah. Because of a completely different type of problem. But it does, it does happen. Um <sighs> The reason I asked you about the club scene in, in both sides of the fence, one of the big solutions I was going to come up with, and it's probably been thought of already, but, <laughs> you know, have two conferences. Have your Hellenic, have your, your Greek association, and just, you know, the, the top two just play off. And I always thought that would have been the way to solve the USARL and AMNRL spat um, almost 10 years ago as well. But um, 
but that's not possible if the Hellenic group don't have any play any clubs underneath them. If it was two competitions, then then that would be a great solution. Yeah. But as far as I'm aware, this uh, Panacetus bloke is just out for blood now. He's uh, he's it's just um, stubborn, stubborn, yeah. stubbornness. Yeah. And the other thing, you know, Greece should Greece should try and find a venue that's suitable for them. I mean, I would have thought that London would be sort of right up the alley for the Scottish actually because. Um, it's only a few hours down the road, so yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's interesting where where they play. Uh, they played at London Scholars Home Ground, which is apparently from based on. I'm, I'm not too sure. I haven't been there, but apparently pretty close to some a Greek region. So there's quite a few Greeks around that area. I mean, it's pretty tough. I'm not sure where else they'd go unless they came to uh, parts of South South Sydney. Cogra or Matraville or something like that if yeah. back here in Australia. I'm not too sure, but look, yeah. I, I'm sure London probably makes sense logistically. Uh, it's easy to get to. Um, they've probably got a good relationship now with London scholars. Um, so, so who knows? The other, the other option was to play in Scotland, which I think would probably be probably be worse in terms of home ground advantage. But I, I do get what you're saying. Are you aware? And just you know, just say no if you know how well rugby union is travelling in Greece. Yeah, I do. So apparently, from discussions that I've had with the guys, once again, so this is from a chat uh, on my podcast. I think it was episode nineteen with Stuart McLennan. So he's the coach of the RS Eagles over there. He was mm-hmm. telling me basically because I asked this very question. I said, you know, does rugby union has have they had anything to do with this at all? He said, surprisingly, no. Normally, when you hear a story like mm. this, rugby union have their finger in the pie. But rugby union in Greece is apparently not. A, not as well off as rugby league, believe it or not. So wow. they've got their own issues to deal with, and and rugby league would be probably a little bit advanced of them in that country for sure. It's funny the dynamics of league and union because in some countries they actually live in complete and utter harmony. Hundred percent. In other countries, it's uh, it's it's heads banging together. But anyway, that's that's. Well, it's a, it's it's funny you say that. It's like you look at a country like South Africa, where you know rugby union is has been trying to kill rugby league for as long as we know. But a country like Norway, where they all sort of seem to play together and, and mm. all get along. So it, it's interesting. I guess um, it's hard to see a world. <laughs> Growing up in Australia, it's hard to see a world where rugby league and rugby union can be can be friends. But I'm sure it's possible in some places, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that's enough about the problems in Greece. Let's look at the opportunity. You were telling me before we got on the line that the some fellas are getting together and some ladies as well to watch State of Origin in a pub somewhere. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, definitely, yeah. So again, talking to Stuart McLennan, and he was just telling me that um, he's getting asked him where he was watching State of Origin. Obviously, the whole rugby league world are very keen to watch. What some call the pinnacle of our sport, I don't agree, but some call it the pinnacle of our sport. Well, what's the pinnacle then if it's not Origin? <laughs> it's got to be World Cup, right? Doesn't it? Has to be, surely. Yeah. Playing for playing for but, Tonga. You know, well, all right. Well, let, 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 let's have a little bit of an argument now. Let's talk. Um, I th- I think it should be the pinnacle World Cup. Yeah. But the reality is, until um, Australia is more open to international rugby league, and when I say Australia, I mean the clubs within. Australia and letting players go and blah 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 until there's a more uh, holistic approach then the international game is never going to get the currency is it that origin has discuss yeah look uh, <laughs> look unfortunately you're right um the NRL has a lot of power and because the kangaroos were so strong and the, the rest of the nations have been chasing the kangaroos for 
four or five decades now. Look at that little sl- uh, the way you, you like just that? slid your title in there. You'd, eh? you'd think <laughs> I work in marketing or something like that, but they, um, the, the world's been chasing us. So we've essentially had to compete with ourselves, you know, to, to, yeah. to, ha- for, to find some sort of rivalry and yeah. origin has met everyone's imagination and it's continued to do so. But my question is, and you know, it, I've been saying this for a little while, so it could be a little while longer, but how long does this actually last for? How long well, can we be confined to two states? Well, I believe right now origin is the pinnacle. I believe that's the height of it. However, I believe that the emergence of Tonga Samoa is yeah. putting that under a little bit of pressure. Don't forget Fiji. Don't forget PNG. You know. Yeah. Um, I also think as well, and this is based on one of your recent um, social media posts, which I do look at. All yeah, night, cool. <laughs> is that um, somebody like Sam Burgess isn't playing in in something like Origin? That's right. Um, and there's some bloody good Kiwis who who don't play. I think the world that State of Origin was born in 30-odd years ago is a very different world to now. You do have people who have multicultural backgrounds. They have four grandparents with four different nationalities and things like that. Um, Some of the better players that are going to emerge in our game over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years may literally not qualify or will qualify for New South Wales and Queensland, but may opt for, for others. And that's that's been seen with some of the players who are, who are saying they want to play for Tonga rather than New South Wales or Queensland. So I actually think it's going to come under pressure. The only way, and I've been thinking about this because a lot of people have been asking me questions and, and for my opinion and things like that, the, and I don't necessarily agree with what I'm about to say, but the only way Origin works in the future because of what you've just said is that it becomes more of an American All-Stars style concept where it becomes maroon versus blue, not necessarily Queens. It's not necessarily defined by what state you were born in. It needs other another definition, other parameters. It becomes maroon versus blue. Now, if that were to happen, then it does include your Sam Burgesses and all your Kiwis and your Tongan boys and all that sort of thing. But I just don't think it's the same as state against state, mate against mate. So I think it dies if we start to push it in that direction, mm. I think I think we just organically need to grow to a point where, yes, origin is very important. It always will be, especially if you're from Australia, especially if you're from New South Wales and Queensland. But we need to get to a point where the Oceania Cups and the European Cups and all those sorts of things become equally as important or at least become another layer on top of the product that is rugby league, NRL, state of origin. Well, have I, have I furnished you with Addison's plan for the future for origin? Have I done that? No, you haven't, but tell me. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Instead of having a six-week period where the 36 best players are taken out of the NRL and the, comp, the NRL comp gets ruined... We have a four-week block where the NRL stops. Now, here's how it links to emerging nations. New South Wales and Queensland select 24-man squads. They stay in camp for the duration of that three weeks. Yep. They play... uh, They go into camp on a Monday. They play on a following weekend. uh, Ten days later, midweek. And then ten days later at the next weekend kind of thing. Right. Yep. So that's thirty-six. Uh, sorry, uh, forty-eight players. Right. 
they can only pick 24 and they stay in camp for that duration. So if obviously if the one game's in New South Wales, then the New South Wales players can go home for a bit and that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, during that time, and this is where the, the link to the emerging nations comes in, England play New Zealand. Yeah. Samoa, Tonga, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, etc., etc., etc. Anybody else play in some kind of round robin during that time. Okay? So that starts to give the TV companies some of that content as well during that, that break. Then you're going to have a load of Aussie players who don't play for any of those nations. They do a nine circuit. And in the NRL, in the Southern Hemisphere, we have a nine circuit that travels to development area in Australia, development area in New Zealand, development area in Asia. In Super League, the equivalent happens. Anybody who's not selected, including Championship and Championship 1 players, do a nine circuit in development areas there, up in the Northern Hemisphere as well. And that would satisfy the, or I would hope would satisfy the uh, broadcasters in terms of content. Now, the, the, the issue around that is going to be how do the clubs make money when they lose four weeks of thing. Well, they need to be part of the marketing infrastructure of that. So they need to be um, making some profit off that as clubs or, or something like that, or hosting them or something like that. What do you reckon to the Addison master plan? Look, I like the Addison master plan. I think, you know what I do like most about it is uh, New Zealand versus England. New Zealand need to be playing England all the time. They need to get to a point where they can say, you know what, Australia, we don't really need you because we've got each other. And we're trying to build other nations around that as well because the NRL does, and Australia in particular, does have a lot of power. So I do like that. I like the idea of the four-week block. Um, I've, I've heard different... What about instead of nines? So if you, che- if you keep everything that you've got in your Addison master plan, <laughs> but, in, but instead of nines, we have a Challenge Cup, an Australian Challenge Cup. So you have all the lower grades are playing their knockout rounds, you know, in the lead up to this this four-week period. And then the NRL teams come in and they're, in some cases, weakened NRL teams. Yeah. But that's okay because they're playing Queensland Cup sides and New South Wales Cup sides and Kiwi sides and things like that's that. Not, that's not a bad idea. I think what it would then come down to, which is what the broadcasters want instead. But the, exactly. but the only problem with that Challenge, that challenge Cup is that would you be able to take that overseas on, on a circuit? That that's the only difference. So would the, yeah, 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 you know, would Look. would the Mounties versus um, Brisbane Broncos reserve side <laughs> essentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would yeah. that sell in Singapore? You know, that, that guess, that's what yeah. I'm saying. You know, that, that I guess it. I guess it depends on what is the goal. What are we trying to do? What, what do the broadcasters want? What do the fans want? And um, I think it's a discussion that could be had. And, you know, there's probably a thousand ideas out there. But I think, to your point, there's definitely a better way to do it than how we're doing it now. I think we're sort of growing out of this. And you can see it now, like Origin Week 2 is standalone and you've got your Pacific Cup matches and you've got Lebanon playing Fiji and we've got the women's um, uh, women's Origin match. You're going to be so excited that week, aren't you? I am absolutely pumped. I think I'm going to have to record two or three episodes that week. You're going to be like a cat on a hot tin roof. (laughs) Well, mate, let me tell we've got, we're going to have Fiji and, and Lebanon. We're going to have Samoa and Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea are playing, uh, the women are playing the Fijian women. We're going to have, obviously, New Zealand playing Tonga in the Oceania Cup as well that weekend. We're going to have Origin 2 in Perth. Let's not forget that, mm. of course. 
And we're also going to have USA and Jamaica that weekend as well. So, oh, and and how could I forget? Cook Islands are playing South Africa in a World Cup qualifier. Yeah. So that weekend is going to be an epic <clears> weekend. And if we can if we can do that three times a year, then that's that's your Origin week sort of. Yeah. If you ask me, yeah, it's amazing, mate. It's been great talking to you again. Um, we we could fill a podcast all on our own. You never shut. We up. have you, ne- you never shut up, do you? <laughs> and, <laughs> and we didn't even talk about the things that we planned to talk about. Well, we're just too busy being positive today. After we talked about that poorly, poorly situation in Greece. What what does your next couple of weeks look like? What what will you be busy with on the podcast? And and what are you taking in? Well, I'm going to be the next my next couple of podcasts. So I'm assuming this uh, this will go out next Sunday. Is that right, Lee? When's next Sunday? Depends when you listen to it. Um, exactly. It's going to, it's going to come listen. out the weekend after Origin One. So our, our listeners will start to listen to this after the weekend of Origin One. Okay, beautiful. Well, my next couple of podcasts, I've got a few organised. So I'll be speaking to the founder of Rugby League Peru. So it's the newest rugby league nation yeah. to hit the map. And I only just found out about them a couple of weeks ago. So I'm very <laughs> mate, keen. Mate, hey, very keen to all I'm about sorry that. To, I'm sorry to say I've already beat you to it because on this very podcast is that same person. I'm sorry, Pope. I'm is it, sorry, but... Is it Jamie? Yeah, is it Jamie? that's Jamie Perez, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I actually, well, I actually have... did. I, I think I put him in touch with you, actually. I think I gave him your number. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember. But I definitely suggested he, he get in touch with you for sure. So. Well, I'll have to listen to your episode before I speak speak to Jamie so let's no do problem. that uh, after that I'll have an episode with another person who's been on your podcast probably on this episode as well but uh, myself and and uh, and um, uh, rugby league in America podcast yeah. Nate Gladden yeah, yeah so we'll have a we'll be having a he'll, he'll be in Australia in a few weeks time and we'll be getting together for some whiskey and to record a big Q&A episode you know what uh, crossover. let me just interrupt the th- me, Tell me. me you and him um, having a three-way chat I think we should probably do yeah. that somewhere down the yeah, line yeah, as well. Yeah, because you know I, I'm I'm not in competition with your podcast. There's room for all of us. I suggested on one of the podcasts. Listen to me on a Monday, you on a Tuesday, and Nate on a Wednesday. Hundred percent. Well, that's why I'm here, mate. Because we're we're a team in my, in my mind. So we're all part of the same podcast correct, network, correct, correct, so to speak. So we've got that. I've, I'm going to have. Um, I just confirmed today that I'll be speaking to someone about French rugby league soon. I've got ca- uh, someone from Canadian rugby league coming on soon as well. There's, there's heaps going on, mate. So, um, yeah, plenty, plenty going on in the world of rugby league. Chasing Kangaroos podcast, everyone. Listen to it or I will hunt you down. Take care. Uh, thanks. The Godfather, Michael Carboni, will hunt you down. <laughs> Take care, bud. Enjoy your rugby league. Keep putting in the hard yards. You're doing a great job. Thanks, coach. Speak to you next See time. You, One of the newest teams in rugby league trying to get up and running is Peru. I spoke to Jamie Perez, who's based in Australia, but has Peru blood running through his veins. I have on the line a man who's trying to get rugby league in Peru up and running off the ground and making some headway, I believe. Jamie Perez, how are you, sir? Very good, Lee. Very good. Uh, thanks for the introduction and uh, looking forward to uh, the future. Where are you based at the minute, Jamie? Okay, I'm actually uh, in Melbourne. I, re- I moved about 14 months ago from Sydney, originally from Sydney most of my life. I uh, decided to make, move a little bit further south, but uh, I travel to Sydney quite regularly. 
And is your family from Peru? Is that what's giving you the inspiration? Or yes, exactly. Uh, my uh, Both my parents are born and raised in Peru. All my heritage is there. I, I was also actually born in Peru. I came to, a, to Sydney when I was eight years old. <laughs> yes. Uh, and obviously, obviously, you know, you're only 21 now, so it wasn't that long. Ago. Yeah, not that, um, not that long. Uh, is, there, is there a structure around Peru Rugby League yet? So do you have a role? Um, how long has it been going for? Okay, look, um, just a bit, a bit, of, a bit of a history where it's at. We're in our infancy stages, but there is a more of a longer history here in Australia. Uh, we were born really out of Latin heat uh, back in 2013 when that started. With as you know, Robert Bergen had actually started that organisation. I heard okay. in the grapevine that there was a Latino rugby league team. So um, to cut the story short got involved with that because my son plays rugby league and I've been involved in rugby league as a playing and coaching staff for many years. And um, gradually as that was built up, uh, we started a, a Peruvian team, which was born out of that. But uh, we didn't have a large squad, so we started playing in the first Latino sevens back in 2015. So we've um, it's, it's not until now that we actually have enough players to be playing competitively in the 13 international game. So basically it's like a way, a second wave of being reborn, but with a full <laughs> team now. So have you played any games yet? And have you got any results to give us? Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, look, uh, just to go back to the Latino sevens back in 2015, uh, we got to the final. We beat El Salvador and Uruguay along the way. We got to the final and we lost to Chile in the very last 10 seconds of the game on the bell. Uh, oh. they, got us, they got us on that one. Uh, our second one that we played the following year in October the si- 2006, it was the Latino Nines. And uh, there we beat Ecuador and Colombia along the way and we lost the final once again to Chile by six points in the last five minutes. Okay. So there were only two international, a third in the side, was against Uruguay in 2016 and against Af- a combined Africa United team in 2017. Now, both of those games we lost. Uh, but like I said, I did say I always struggled for getting a full 13. So some of those games were played with additional non-Peruvian players. So we never really have had a full team when it's different now. I've actually got in excess of about 25 players. So now I'm in a position to really carry this forward with a full complement of team. So have you got, Let- any, have you got any games planned, Jamie, for Peru? Yes, I certainly do. Uh, we've got. I've just recently organised some games. So uh, our next one that's it's coming up uh, in August uh, this year. Obviously, we're playing in the Latino Nines in September. Mm-hmm. I've got another game scheduled with Brazil in February, and mm-hmm. I've got another game after that in Colombia in May slash June. So wow. I've got some a few games already confirmed. So we're looking for a very exciting next six months. Is it just you, or have you got a committee working around you? Yeah, uh, well, look, like I said, it's like we've been reborn, but basically uh, only a couple of weeks ago, we've now just set up a pseudo-committee. We're formalising our structure. But, yes, at the moment, I've been the original coach for the team, so I've been the driving force. Uh, In the last six months, we've gotten all the players along. Now, we've got a committee, uh, which is comprised of, obviously, myself. Um, It'll also be one of our players, Lewis, who was involved with the Latin Heat administration previously. And he's one of our players. We've got Jai, who's our captain from the team. And we've got Sean, who's our another player. All of these are players. 
uh, Sean is actually a major sponsor uh, into la- um, the also Latin Heat. I was sure. Yeah. Um, what about on the ground in Peru? Is there much happening over there yet? Okay. Um, like I said, because we've been re- reborn at the moment, I've just designed a jersey for our side here. I've had to just, I'm, I'm in the process of creating the logos. So it's all pretty much on the infancy stages here. I need to set up a structure. That's been the priority here at the moment. However, I've been um, also, I need to start it in Peru, obviously. Um, very, there is no rugby league being played there. So okay. I'm starting from scratch. So, okay. um, so I assume that sort of goes into my next question. You know, where looking into your crystal ball, where do you see Peru Rugby League in 5, 10, 20 years? What are your goals? Sure. Well, look, my goals, it's, 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 it's a dream. It's a vision. And uh, I'm very committed and very passionate about this. I only just recently went back to Peru in the last six months for mm. the first time in, since I was eight years old. So it's <laughs> burning very hard, I can assure you. So, I'm very, I'm 100% committed to making it work in Peru. My vision is starting a league there. Look, they, they are already playing rugby over there. So, you know, it's not like I'm going into a completely new sport. They just have no idea. They have at least a similar type of sport there. So my goal is, look, within five years, and I'm not thinking that far, that five years that I want this to happen, but I do want to follow the lead like Chile has brought on to play in an international level. Uh, I want to start a competition. I am going to start a competition in Peru. I've yeah. already got my best player. I've got a lot of players here who actually just come over from Peru and they're going to play in our side. So that communications that I need to get out to Peru, I've got all my a lot of family over there and I'm going to be spreading the word in the next week or two once, I've, uh, once I um, unveil my jersey and so forth and publicise to get... Uh, Peru on board, but I'm certainly I have a few people there in mind. Uh, but yeah, it's a big journey. But I'm obviously mm. assistance uh, from sponsorship to international rugby league as well. And has anybody general- helped you from the game yet from the governing uh, bodies? Has sure. Anybody given you any help? Yeah, yeah. Well, look at the moment. Uh, I've been in touch with Tasbatiri, who's uh, the um, international development um, manager here in Australia. Uh, telling him what my plans are, and he's helped me out with getting some, uh, some at least communications out to our New South Wales Rugby League registered Peruvian players. And he's given me a bit of a guideline, but I've just this week been introduced to Danny Kasangian, for who's mm-hmm. a global operation man in the UK. So just mm-hmm. now I've got correspondence the last week of the requirements that we have to set up the governance within Peru. So that's what I'm now working forward to in parallel with here to start working in Peru. I've got my first player on board as well in Peru. I just spoke to him during the week. Uh, <laughs> I've got my very first Peruvian guy over there in Lima. So I'm very proud of that. And I'm going to introduce him to the rest of our team here. And I told him, you're my future. And that's how we're going to communicate it out for all of the people within here. I'm going to use all the Peruvian community in Australia to help me to broaden it out to there. I, I see positive thoughts and Peruvians are a very passionate country about this sport. Do I mean you don't know who's listening to this, Jamie? So give yourself a bit of time now to have a shout out. What help do you need? How can people get in touch with you? That kind of thing? sure. Okay. Look, thanks for the opportunity too, Leo. I certainly want to reinforce that. Can't express the gratitude I have to for me to put a voice out there for Peruvian rugby. Too easy. But yeah. look, uh, as you can see, 
people, I am starting it from scratch. And we know the challenges that come about with that. And obviously without support, without the corporate uh, corporate support to start a competition of this vision, this grand task to start it in a country where they don't even play the sport. Huge challenge and task. So what I need, obviously, is that general community support of us Peruvians to look into your hearts and look at where your heritage is and proud of that country. We've come, a lot of people have come from there to here to live a better life, and, and we do. I've been there to see that difference, and it's a matter of now of us putting back into our people to give them an opportunity to play an international sport where they'll seek guidance from us here in Australia and guide them to give it an opportunity to play a sport to hopefully make them play at an international level. And, you know, look, I need, obviously, uh, funds to from the businesses here within Australia to assist me to get them out there. I do have contacts within Peru to generate some of that too. But as we know, we're talking about a third-world country and mm. the upper hand is going to come from Peru Rugby League in Australia to help them aboard. And I, and I cannot express the the generosity that I'll expect that I would like from people to assist me of this dream that I have. And, and at the end of the day, we're doing it for our people. Your passion shines through, mate. I wish you all the best and we're here if you, we can help you in any way. Um, another thing we can do, mate, is um, any Peruvians over there, what's their understanding of English like? Well, look, um, it's 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 now getting more broadened, the English language. So they're yeah. starting to put it into schools and what have you. It's more common than not. I mean, it's it's one of the uh, – it's an international destination which is highly, highly visited from all people all over the world. So it is minimal. However, it is broadened a lot into the school systems. So, because obviously I can, we can maybe talk about arranging some access to the website, rugbyleadcoach.com.au. It's exactly. a great resource for those kids over there to learn how to play the game. But we'll talk about that exactly when, we, when, we, when we're not on the line, eh? Exactly. You take care, mate, and keep going. Okay. Thanks very much, Lee. Thanks for the opportunity. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Now our last trip around the world. We're off to America, the US of A. Nate Gladding, Rugby League in America podcast. <clears throat> Nate Gladding from the Rugby League in America podcast. You sound like you've got a sore throat, mate. Were you shouting too much during the Origin game? <laughs> I uh, I wasn't shouting too much. I think it's because I wasn't able to speak. I was pretty much just the whole time like staring at the screen and watching the screen. And then I was getting I just get upset and I walk around the house with I have my laptop because I have to move. I don't watch it on TV. I have to be on my laptop so I can constantly move around. So <laughs> what because you're a nervous wreck. I'm a nervous wreck. Or? I'm a nervous wreck. And I shouldn't be that much of a nervous wreck. I'm not playing, but uh, I can't help it. I just the whole time I'm just beside myself. So you said you watched it on the laptop. What what vehicle were you using there? I watched the Watch NRL app. So it's actually kind of funny. So uh, uh, kids don't try this at home. But no, I actually I turned the first. I watched the first half on my laptop walking around. Then the second half, I plugged it into my phone. Uh, this is actually a big credit to to the Watch NRL app for the, what they do because I plugged it into my phone in my car and I got to listen to the second half on Bluetooth. Um, okay. Yeah, and then uh, and then I came back and watched the whole game again. So. Uh, but yeah, so it was uh, it was good. And then I sat in the parking lot at work for the last five minutes and was like screaming at the top of my lungs, <laughs> and uh, and then everybody was looking at me weird as they were walking by in the parking lot. 
Did could would there be an opportunity for you to watch that game on TV in the states, or is that not possible? Yeah, that game was on actually. A couple of the different bars had it. Um, I believe the Australian and a couple others, like in New York. I didn't hear, but there's a couple of places around here that I know uh, definitely would have. And then randomly, I do know now that there's a place. Uh, there's a place in the Philadelphia airport that actually plays all of the rugby league games. So is this on TV? On or TV, is it they, actually, the NRL? they actually play it. What? They have a, that somehow, I don't know how, but he's got it streaming through Fox on the TV. Maybe he has watch NRL app as well. I don't know, but all the games, he plays them all in his bar. So one, one thing that upsets me a little bit, Nate, and I know that you're passionate about this too, is that, to grow the game in all the different nations, you know I've been involved in Poland, you're in the USA, and you're passionate about so many different other countries growing the sport. Well, that love affair, I think in some ways starts with watching a game on TV, as we've talked about before. But also, it really saddens me that teams that have been in World Cups and emerging nations World Cups and done well still don't have easy TV access. No, um, and I think I think this would be a real key thing to develop in the game around the world, don't you? I really do. I think if you know, it's one of those things where if you had, even if uh, even if the NRL, and I use the NRL as an example, it could be Super League. It doesn't matter. But if they basically said, okay, where is our target target audience? We want to give it to them for free. Like you could pick one or two countries even that you wanted to dedicate for the next couple of years. Like we're going to send development officers into this region. We want to see if we can grow the game. Like they're trying to do that through the Pacific. Maybe yeah. use that region or maybe use the next region they go into especially and they try to give it to that region for free or something. That way they can see it more. Like even if it's just during a five-year period or something like that. I mean, I understand it is. A just give them tasters, you give know, them give taste. them Origin 2 or yeah. a Grand Final. Or... Exactly. Give them something. Exactly. If nothing else, give away – you could give away your big event. To be perfectly honest, if you gave away your big event, you'd be – you'd do really, really well just because people would see all the pageantry and excitement and you'd see it in a, in a place where you weren't going to see it if you didn't do it what you're obviously involved in america and you're involved with the girls game as well what where does your passion lie in terms of uh, other emerging nations and the game around the world what, what what do you like to see what do you like to hear about i like to see all of it growing i really do like overall in general i like to see it what i what i really like to see is when countries get involved in it that i think have some really good potential right not, not, i mean i think every country has potential but ones that i think like for instance the game being played uh between catalans and wigan in spain spain is a country spain as a whole may not be like the the the, the country but the catalonia region like that barcelona region, mm. that to me is an, a region that could be developed because you could instill so much it, it's a game that has a bit of flair to it. Obviously, it has power and all that, but it's flair. And that's a region that could handle it. And that's a region that can really get behind it and be excited by it. And I think that's a big thing. To, to me, it's a matter of which countries does this translate to uh, and and how do you do that? I think like I think that part of Spain would be a huge, a huge region that could really do well with it. It doesn't have those – it doesn't have the old undertones. You know, rugby's not that big in it either. That's the other thing. Which countries – is rugby not big in it that you could really develop it? Canada can develop. Like Canada is a great country for it. Obviously America, I believe, but Canada is. But then if you look at a country, like if you looked at a country like Argentina, I think a country like Argentina, if it was given the proper funding, like it, it would look at it and be like, Oh, this is a lot of, like, this is a lot of fun. Like this is, 
it'd be like a little bit of that flair like they have in soccer and they and they love the they love the drama of soccer um and the the excitement that they can have on game day uh and the passion and you add that to it and i think you could really do uh, i think it'd do really well down there let's bring it back to your home country now i mean how do you think rugby league is tracking in america bear in mind that they qualified for the world cup for the first time in 2011 uh, had a great World Cup, shocked the world, to use the terminology, in 2013, um, and then go. backed it up with another appearance in 2017. Um, how how do you think the game is tracking in America? What do you see day in, day out, week in, week out, in terms of development of the game over there? I think if you were to look at it on paper, I think it looks stagnant. Um, okay. And I don't mean that in a bad way. So I mean that in the way if you just look at it, it's going to look stagnant. But there's something that I think that is not in necessarily, you know, it's it's not necessarily in the details. You can't really see it on, on paper is that what we're really in is this period in between. Like when the, when the country first starts out, everybody's excited. Uh, and then there's like that five year push. And then the first time they go to the World Cup or anything and they're excited. And, and it's, you know, it's a great time in a country's development. And then there's all that boring middle ground that nobody really likes to deal with. And then it's like, oh, we just want you to be established. And I think we're in that period. So on paper, it looks like we're stagnant. On paper, it looks like we're not developing fast enough or whatever. But it kind of hit me yesterday. Some of the guys that have been involved in 2017 and, and some of the for the last you know decade or so playing, guys like Rich Henson in Philadelphia, guys like CJ Cordelano in White Plains, uh, guys like Nick Newland, who've been around with Atlanta, he's still playing. But uh, these are guys that are either have decided to step away from the game playing or they're getting closer to stepping away from the game mm. playing. David mm-hmm. Ulch is another one. He's in with the new team in Lakeland, and he's doing a player coach role. So a lot of these guys that have been playing, they're starting to get into that coaching role and that administrative role. And I actually think this is a really important time because – It's an evolution. It's, a, it's exactly. an evolution of the sport. I think yeah. right now we're in that period of time. So I think if you look at it on paper – America kind of looks almost boring um, in the sense of like, oh, it's not growing. I think it is. I think it's in that period that nobody really wants to pay attention to. There have been some people involved in the game now there for like 20 years. Yeah, there have. But one of the big things is, and this is no disrespect to anybody from overseas, is it's been a lot of guys have been involved in it uh, that have been from overseas and they've been dedicated to growing the game here. But they've Mm. had a lot of people that sound like me that have come and gone. They played Mm -hmm. for maybe four or five years and then they've moved away from the sport. So this is that first real group of guys that are embedded in a certain town that grew up in that city or something like that they feel a calling to that region uh and they you know like they've got that and so they're connecting alongside those to work and really start to develop it that's why if you look at it you'll you you know you you look at the clubs in australia or england that have been around and like i, I was wearing uh my uh could you uh could you run with uh wombat's 50th <laughs> season shirt yesterday right so yeah. they don't have 50 seasons anywhere in america so you yeah. know it's one of those things where fast forward 20 years from now and somebody being in philadelphia maybe wearing a 40 years in philadelphia rugby league shirt you know so it's it i think right now is that time that people don't tend to pay attention to but i think it's the really pivotal point in america's uh, rugby league just got to keep chugging away just got to do the hard yards as this podcast is named that's it and, and mate there's there's nobody doing the hard yards as as, as much as as you are or there are plenty but you're doing a great job keep doing what you're doing um we love your podcast here at the at rugbyleaguecoach.com.au and the hard yard rugby league podcast um we love listening to rugby league in america um and we love listening to nate gladden thank you so much mate
Yeah, thank you. Well, another busy podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And remember, you can uh, read, watch more of us on rugbyleaguecoach.com.au, our website, or our Facebook and Instagram pages at Rugby League Coach or Twitter at RL Coach on the net. Next podcast, we're going to go through our heartlands. We're going to have uh, Phil Kaplan from England. We're going to have Mike Cudd from New Zealand and Anthony Bomber-Breeze from Australia. And also, you've not heard from our women's correspondent, Kim Dreyer from Australia. Um, and she will be with us next week too, as the rumblings go on still in SEQ about girls' eligibility for Open's Rugby League. For those doing the hard yards in the game of Rugby League, keep doing the job that you're doing because you're doing a great job. Speak to you soon.